Welcome back to Drinks First. It has been a minute, so I'm very excited to get started with season four. I have lots of really great singles, and I cannot believe like how much Drinks First has grown in the past year. So I'm, I'm I am really excited to get this going again. Today, I'm super excited to talk to this guest. He has so graciously agreed to do this interview while on his summer vacation. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So just to get started, we'll cover the basics. So do you mind just telling me how old you are, where you're from, and where in New York you live? Yeah. So I'm 23. I'm originally from Miami, Florida sort of born and raised, also grew up in a little bit of Central Florida and Europe, traveled a lot as a kid, but um, I live on the Upper West Side in New York. Ooh, I grew up on the Upper West Side, so it's a neighborhood close to my heart. Uh, Do you live alone or do you have roommates? I have one roommate and I've just like stayed on the Upper West Side for the majority of the time I've lived in New York. It's just, it feels like home. So I get you. Yeah. It's, it's such a lovely neighborhood. I think underrated. I understand why people our age don't want to be uptown, but I personally think if you're somebody who's coming from maybe a less hectic place from New York and you still feel like you want that space and you want that peace and quiet, being uptown is just as good of an option as being in Brooklyn. That might be a hot take. You know, <laughs> I have really mixed feelings on this because the Upper West Side was like one of the first places I ever went to when I came to New York City. And I just loved it because it's gorgeous and there's so much to do and the people are interesting. However, I've recently come into this place where I realized that I came to New York City to like be the best version of myself and to be that New York City version of myself. And I realized, well, living on the Upper West Side, my life is just so comfortable. Like I wake up, I get a bagel, I walk in the park, like I live right on the park. So it's like, just there. I have such an easy life. And (laughs) you're like a New York life is not supposed to be an easy life. (laughs) Exactly. Like, sometimes when I go downtown wearing the things that I would wear uptown, I'm like, Oh, my God, I'm not cool. And I really am now thinking about I lived downtown for just a short period. I lived in Chelsea and hated it. And um, I think I want to move downtown now because I want to feel pressured to wear something cool every day and to go out all the time instead of being my old Upper West Side character. You know what? I lived on the Upper West Side. I now live downtown in like the heart of everything. And to be honest, what ended up happening is I I care about how I look. I care about how I dress. I wouldn't say I'm like a fashion girly. And I don't like, I'm not necessarily subscribing to specific trends. Like Y2K does not look good on me. Like that's not my, my shtick. But what's happened is like when I choose to walk out of my house to do like small things like grab lunch or coffee or something, I just dress like a slob. (laughs) (laughs) I wear my Crocs. I leave. I just don't care anymore. So it's not (laughs) it it hasn't necessarily pressured me to always look good all the time. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's kind of made me like, you know what? I just don't care. I get that. But I think, you know, I I can pull that on the Upper West Side because who's really going to check me? But I have to say, like, sometimes when I walk through, like, NoHo or SoHo, 
I just feel like, oh my God, they think I'm like someone from Ohio. <laughs> like, I, I can't do this. So I don't know. I think if I live downtown, I'm going to be too scared that someone's going to come up to me and try to video me or photograph me. Literally, I actually live in fear of those like street interviewers. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you, I already have like, my answers in my head where I'm like what artist am I listening to what am I wearing how much is my rent Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. yeah no I live right near Washington Square Park and I feel like walking into that park is just like a permission to be filmed a hundred percent and so I avoid it yeah (laughs) but I think I just want to like get the street cred of being like oh this guy has like really good style every day but honestly I think that like I just had this realization where I've been living in New York for a couple of years and New York has made me into who I am now. But at the same time, I feel as though there's so much more that can be done. And frankly, you know, I'm someone who doesn't really like to drink alcohol. So I normally don't. Mm -hmm. And that sort of prohibited me from going out to clubs and bars. Mm. And I think that I want to start going out and clubbing more. And so I think that, you know, gotta move downtown for that because going to the upper west side after a late night mm -mm. yeah that is that was the struggle because i was also like 23 and living on the upper west side and i wanted to go out and do everything and that uber back home at night is brutal Mm -hmm. brutal so i understand that i get it like I did the same thing. I wanted to be downtown. I wanted to be in the center of things. And I'm really happy that I am. I think it depends where downtown you are. Like, it really varies. Like, if you're in the East Village versus being in Phi Dive versus being in West Village, like, all of those feel incredibly different. But I want to rewind a little bit. Tell me what brought you to New York and how long you've been here for. Yeah. So my my sort of backstory that as I've begun to make new friends, I realize I have to tell them my backstory is um, I was a professional dancer. And so I had been, you know, sort of traveling in the US and I thought I was going to live in LA, but I always, always wanted to live in New York. So I said, before I settle in LA, let me move to New York for a year and train and then go back to LA. But I moved to New York and I was like, no, this is it. I've always known New York was the place. So as a professional dancer, I moved to New York when I was 19 and um, just kind of have always stayed here. And I think New York is like, New York, I would say is home. So that's kind of my my New York story of what brought me here. So where did you go to college? Did you go to school? Is, was that part of the reason you came to New York? Um, no, you know, I I went to school in my home state for a little bit as I was traveling, doing like an online school. And being, you know, an artist, I was like, oh, I don't need college. So I had dropped out of school, moved to New York. I like went to the Martha Graham School of Dance um, at 19, which is also what Madonna did, which I take a lot of pride in that for some reason. So I moved here to be an artist. And things started to change. I realized that I didn't want to dance anymore. I really saw that there was a ceiling in the dance career. Mm. So I began to transition and I had a lot of free time. So I decided to look at other options. So I went to Columbia University, um, which I then also decided to leave. I'm sort of too much of an artist. I, I can't stick with school for any longer than I had to already. But, you know, go Lions, I guess. That's 
That's amazing. I didn't know that you were a professional dancer. That's very cool. So you did contemporary, I'm guessing, if you were at Martha Graham. Yes. Contemporary was like the one that I, I could do every day. I, <laughs> as a kid, I like did dance classes at Martha Graham. So very oh familiar with that. <laughs> um, that's incredible. I mean, it's a very prestigious place to go dance. So mm-hmm. what made you kind of stop? Why were you like, this isn't for me. What What's the dance industry like in New York? Well, the best way I've heard it described is the dance industry in New York City is ballet, Broadway, or modern, you know? So I didn't really want to do ballet, couldn't really do ballet. I was, you know, not skinny enough. And then I didn't really want to do Broadway. And I'd never actually studied modern before. I was only doing contemporary. So when I came to Martha Graham, I just kind of hated it. And, um, I decided to leave dance because as much as I love being a dancer in the U.S., dancers really aren't supported by the government or anything of that nature versus in Europe. You can have a a long career and have a full life because the government gives you subsidies and all these other things. And so I realized that, you know, being a dancer, my end goal was to be Abby Lee Miller. And I was like, maybe I can do a little bit more than that. So I saw the ceiling and I decided to sort of transition and find something different. And what did you do at Columbia? So when I decided to go to Columbia, it was sort of a decision that I made for myself. You know, both my parents were immigrants. So the idea of going to college and being a doctor, being a lawyer, being a diplomat was something that I always grew up with. And I never really ascribed to. So with wanting to be an artist, I didn't value school that much. However, I began to get into. Buddhism at that same time when I decided to go to Columbia. And I I started learning about philosophy when I was in high school, but Buddhism just really hit. And I was like, wait, this is something I could be interested in learning more about. Um, And so I had some really good friends who were in education at the time. And they were like, you know, Columbia has a really great program. You should definitely consider it. So I went to Columbia and I studied philosophy. I didn't really get to get too much into the nitty gritty before I ended up leaving, but it was a choice that I feel I got to make Mm -hmm. because I got to study something I really wanted to study. Yeah. So tell me more about why you decided to leave Columbia and what you've been doing since then. You know, I think that part of the reason school has always been difficult for me is school is so rigorous. I mean, Colleges nowadays are intensely rigorous. And as somebody who had come to New York City to, you know, live out a dream and to have their own ambitions, I had a full life in New York. I was, I had my own little company. I had all my friends. I was doing things every day. And so adding school on top of that became so much. And, um, you know, after being at Columbia for a bit, I realized This is taking away from a lot that I could be doing right now. And frankly, you know, it, it really started to affect my mental health. COVID during, you know, going to school during COVID Mm. was the worst idea ever. Um, (laughs) But the reason that I decided to leave was I started having panic attacks and I'd never in my entire life had a panic attack. And I realized that, you know, this, this is taking everything from me. So when I decided to leave, I had told some people and they were like, how are you going to leave Columbia? You know, my parents and their friends were like, how are you going to leave Columbia? Like, this is such an opportunity. And I said, I don't know. But like the same voice that told me I needed to move to New York 
is the same voice telling me I need to leave. And so I decided to just kind of look around, find something that could still, you know, keep my resume without a gap. And so I, you know, did the job search, networked, talked to friends and ended up getting a job at Goldman Sachs and was like, well, you know what? I'm, I'm free to leave. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of my door, my way out. And, um, at, you know, at the same time when I left Columbia, I got in this sort of big boy job, um, my social media, I was able to really start making a lot of headway with gaining followers and traction. And I also was in acting school at the same time. So I had all these different projects on my hands in these different pots. So I felt very comfortable leaving. What did you do at Goldman? How did you get a job there as a college dropout? <laughs> um, which is incredibly impressive. And you mentioned social media and acting. Like, where did that come from? What exactly were you doing there? Um, so with Goldman, you know, it's the funniest thing because I've always known a lot of people who worked at Goldman. And I thought to myself, I will never work there. That is something that I could never see myself being in that office. And I thought to myself, well, what does everybody, you know, my friends who graduated from Columbia, what do they do? They go work at Goldman, they go work at EY, you know, they get some job like this. And so let me just see what I can do. So I applied for a job there, client facing within finance, which was such a reach. However, they had gotten back to me because when I first moved to New York City, one of the first jobs that I had was consulting fitness companies in the city. Like a lot of Pilates studios don't really know how to run their business. And my family works in business and everything of that. So not only did I study that my freshman year of college, but that's just in my blood. So I had a consulting sort of business and I was able to make a lot of quantifications of success um, while doing so. And so they got back to me and they said, this is something that they really wanted for their wellness company. So mm. working at Goldman, I oversee a lot of the wellness department, which we have like, you know, full fitness situation. We have doctors on staff, nutritionists on staff, physical therapists. So using all of that work experience I had from before and also having a good amount of friends there just really gave me a great reference of character and experience. In regards to like social media, you know, I always knew I wanted to do social media, but I felt so scared to do it. And so at the same time, you know, I actually had an ex who is a social media manager and he really helped me a lot kind of figure out all of these ideas I have in my head. How can I actually utilize them? And so I said, you know what, this is the date I'm going to start posting. I'm going to really commit to this. Within my first week, I had 10,000 followers and I was like, okay, this is going to be something. And so I, I kept going on with that, kept making recommendations, you know, that really took off for me. And with acting, you know, I've always wanted to be an actor. That was the first dream I ever had. One of my dance mentors who went through a similar situation told me, you know, acting would be a really great route for you. As a dancer, I was always able to sort of act that was kind of my best um, characteristic for myself. So I just said, you know what? I'm in New York City. I'm just going to sign up for the class. I'm going to do it. And so I had my hands full with everything else. And I felt very comfortable to just piece out this idea that you have to do school to succeed or to get going with what you want to do. Yeah, that's awesome. I think so many people who come to New York are this like, work hard, play hard mentality, but a lot of people kind of follow the traditional path of 
going to a good school, getting a good job, and just like working really hard at that job to keep moving up in their career. So mm-hmm. it is very inspiring to hear how much success you've had at such a young age. Clearly, you're a very transient human being. You grew up all over the place. You have switched jobs and school and you're a very creative person. And you sort of hit the nail on the head on where I was heading with all of this. How do you have time to date? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a really easy answer. I grew up and I was too obsessed with sex in the city. So it's, it's a way of life. Dating is a must. And, you know, I'll be honest, like, I would say that I've had a very fruitful dating life to the sense that, you know, sometimes I'll meet people and they'll be like, how have you dated so many people as well as doing all these other things? I guess, you know, my real answer is I've always described myself as romantically inclined. Mm. So I'm always interested in like actually finding somebody romantically that I can build something with and have a life with, you know, being able to kind of be your own boss at times has been helpful to doing that. But truthfully, like, I love to have a packed schedule. So I always find time for dating. It's a non-negotiable. And just to be clear, so are you still at Goldman? Are you still acting? Are you still doing social media? Or what are you doing right now? I'm in a mix. I'm in a like flux state right now. Like so many things are going on. So many things are changing. I mean, for the past few months, I've just been like traveling the world. (laughs) And I have to say, I am so, so thankful that my managers and my team at Goldman have been so understanding that when I get back to the city, which is going to be at the end of the month, um, I'll go right back to Goldman for work. If I'm going to stay there, uh, TBD. Right. But yeah, once I get back to New York, my life sort of resumes. I, I get back to being more active on social media. I go back to acting school. At the same time, I mean, right now I'm also writing a a pilot for a TV show that my friend and I are trying to um, get off the ground. So I've kind of been able to maintain a little bit of my life, but truly the past few months have just been for me. So I've been very lucky to not have to work, not have to focus on social media or whatnot, but I'm a bit of a workaholic, so still working on writing. Right. So in the past few months, I'm like, do we start at the beginning or do we work our way backwards? Like, (laughs) have you been dating or have you been having some fun while you're abroad? Of course, of course. (laughs) Um, Dating is such a interesting thing in regards to the way that Americans date and the way that like Europeans date can be very different. You know, the way that I date in New York has been so different as the way that I've been dating in Europe, especially, I mean, you know, considering that I've just been kind of bouncing around. I don't think anyone's necessarily trying to get me locked down and key, but I now very happily can say that I have a couple people in a couple different countries who (laughs) are thinking fondly of me and liking my stories. So, you know, I've definitely made a couple impressions. All right. Well, you have to you have to expand on that. (laughs) (laughs) This trip was sort of like a, you know, both my parents are immigrants and um, my dad is European. And so I came here like, yeah, I just want to get really reconnected, even though I grew up for some of my life in Europe. um, I want to get really reconnected. I just want to, you know, meet friends, like have a European summer. Mm -hmm. But I think that this trip has also created this dual purpose of there is 
a million European cities where I have a place to stay and I have someone who's in love with me. So, <laughs> you know, I think that, okay, here's, here's a great example. I, I met this person who said, oh my God, I can't believe that you like are traveling and, and dating people. And I said, well, it makes your experience richer. You know, of course it's great to like find friends at somewhere, but it can be hard because I don't necessarily want to hang out with like British tourists. So it's been really enriching to go to a city and to enjoy it for myself because I'm solo traveling, but to then have it enriched by meeting other people, by experiencing the city through their lenses. And ultimately, I would describe myself as someone who has just a really open heart. You know, I'm, I'm ready for anything. I'm also aware that of the scenario, you know, I, I'm not going to fall in love with anybody too hard right now as I travel. But there have been some people where I've looked at visas or citizenship. And to be frank, you know, in case I get in trouble with immigration, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I have a couple of people who said they would marry me for citizenship. So <laughs> I have a couple routes, but we all need an escape plan. <laughs> No, we really do. I think about it way too much. And at least now I have a couple countries. The thing that you said earlier, dating in Europe versus dating in America is very different. And I mean, even country to country, I think it's super different. Like Mm -hmm. being with somebody from France is very different than Greece and Italy and the UK. Mm -hmm. I feel like in the same way, dating someone from New York is very different from dating someone in LA. Totally. People have like certain personalities, you know, and certain ways that we're used to dating in New York. I feel like it's very, I'm busy, you're busy. It's only like, if we make time for each other, anything's really going to go anywhere. People really, you know, value education and they value where you like to go out, where you like to eat, where you live, like all of those things are important to a New Yorker, but those things aren't necessarily as important when you are dating in another city or another country. And I genuinely think the best travel hack is using dating apps to get to know a place. A hundred percent. Like back when I was single, I would like, I paid for like the premium version of Bumble so I could set my location in different places Mm -hmm. before I got there. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I got there, I would have like, you know, 20 people being like, I'll take you out. Like, (laughs) here are the places that I like to go. Like, here are the places I like to eat. Like, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, I'm visiting. Like, can you send me some recommendations? So then you already have like a list of places you can go. And then you have like potential Mm -hmm. tour guides because in actuality, when you're only in a place for like, what, a week or less, you're not going like people don't want to make friends. Mm -hmm. But people are very open to meeting you if there's like a romantic aspect involved. Absolutely. I personally think use it to your favor. (laughs) A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that was sort of my plan. I knew that I wanted to take this trip. And I knew that I had to be single for it. So I found myself in this lucky place where I'm single. And I was like, yep, this summer, I'm doing it. And of course, you know, I sort of always find guys who are like ready for a relationship. But I was able to kind of swerve that as I have been preparing for the summer. 
I hate to say this, but as someone who does social media, it has been very helpful to, you know, find people that you're romantically interested in because they will be okay to take your picture when you go out. I'm like, thank you for helping me not ask some random person to take my picture. I'm like German and French, but I, I don't really speak German that well. And so when I was in Berlin, it was a bit hard because first of all, Germans are really closed off to anybody who A, doesn't or speak German. German super fluently. Yeah. And, <laughs> exactly. And like, even though I have like a, a super German name and like I'm super German in, in that regard and can speak some German because I didn't grow up in Germany, that also excluded me. So being able to find someone who's romantically interested in you, usually they'll want to bring you into certain groups. And so like, I have a gallerist in Berlin who really showed me a lot. And I have another friend in Berlin who took me to some of the most beautiful places in Berlin, which really changed my perspective on it. Because mm -hmm. at first I was like, you know, second day in Berlin, I was like, yep, not for me, not for me. But by the end of Berlin, I was like, you know what? I'll miss you a little bit. Yeah. Berlin's a very specific place. I mm -hmm. think, I mean, there's such a fantasy around it. I think for every Brooklyn, New Yorker, every oh. hipster who's like, I want to go to Berlin. I want to party at Bergheim. I want to have the whole experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I've only been in the winter. I've been twice. It's a brutal city. Mm. It, it really is in terms yeah. of its architecture, in terms of its people. But there is also a, a magic about it that I think if you are able to tap into it and you get access to it, I think that's the biggest thing. And I feel like New York is also similar. It's like you can see New York on a surface level from what maybe other tourists or other people who come and visit would experience. Mm -hmm. But once you get access to it, it the whole city opens up. I totally agree. I've been very lucky to sort of be the tour guide for some romantic interests who come to New York. Mm. And so, you know, of course, I feel like it's just sort of karma being so great to me to be able to meet so many people as I travel. But, you know, I'm always that person who, if someone's from out of town, I know there are a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't want to concern myself with people like that. Like, I'm looking for something. But to me, I just think that that's um, wasteful of a person. You know, you could have a really great connection with someone and maybe just be really good friends or who knows what could happen. I've always been the person who loves to show people around and everybody wants to go to the same places. I don't even have to name them, yeah. you know. And so when I take them to the West Village or the Upper West Side or places like that, it really changes their perspective of New York City. And... I also feel a little bit bad because there are some places in Brooklyn that I could take them that would expand it even further, but I'm such an Upper West Sider. I will say, I know that there are some people who live in New York who do not leave Manhattan or who do not go above 14th Street or whatever ridiculous you know phrase that they use, but I know that there is a lot of politics around being a self-described New Yorker. But I 100% am a New Yorker. So I'm someone who like, I have an amazing pie place that I love to go to in Brooklyn. I have an amazing Greek place that I love to go to in Astoria. I'm someone who like will go out of borough at the drop of a hat. But I'm not really going to want to go with somebody to Park Slope on a random Saturday because that's like an hour and something on the train. Yeah, that's so, brutal from Upper West Side. <laughs> it's so it's so bad. But I do really wish that 
maybe when I live downtown and I get those like out of towners, I'll start I'll start doing Park Slope because it's only going to be what thirty minutes. Yeah, I will. So we skipped over a question I usually ask in the beginning, which is where do you like to eat and where do you like to go out? And this is such a great question for you because I know you love giving recommendations. So we'll take a brief pause from the dating talk to hear a little bit about that. In regards to like restaurants, it's it's such a hard question. So I've been out of New York for a couple months and here's how crazy New York is. I was out of New York for a couple months and I came back before I came to Europe and there were so many rest, so many new restaurants. Like it blew my mind. I was like, wait, there's a new ice cream place on the corner. There's a new like French restaurant on the corner. It's insane that so much can change in just a couple months. So I do give a lot of like restaurant recommendations on TikTok. And I feel a little bit out of the game right now because there are so many new places I don't know. But this is truly a, if you know, you know. And if somebody who is interested knows this restaurant, please, like, this would really be the, oh my God, I found my husband. (laughs) The best restaurant I have ever been to in the entire world, as someone who grew up around the world and, of course, lived in New York City, was the Nomad Restaurant, which is no longer open, but truly some of the most incredible food I have ever tasted. The chicken? The chicken with the truffles. Come on. The truffles, truffles was on everything at that restaurant. And I'm so glad you know about this, but it was so beautiful <laughs> and it was so amazing. I don't know how they close. So I'm heartbroken, but I guess I can give a few places that I really love. So on the Upper West Side, I love this place called The Milling Room, which I don't think a lot of people have been to. And then I feel almost bad giving this place up because no one ever goes and it is the most magical restaurant in all of New York City. But I have, I'm ready to give it up just for this podcast. Oh, I'm honored. <laughs> have you ever heard of Chalel? It's on 70th and Columbus. How do you spell it? S-H-A-L-E-L. No, and I grew up on the West Side. I mean, I know the milling room. I don't know Chalel. Okay, tell me about okay. it. So this is kind of where I allowed myself to get on a little bit of a high horse when I was making TikTok videos because I find these type of places. Chalel, when you when you go to this restaurant, you're not going to be able to see it because it's underground. So you get to 70th and Columbus and you're you're just going to see like a gate. But you go down the stairs, you go inside and it's like you are in somewhere in like Lebanon in a cave restaurant, like candlelight only. When I say cave, like the ceiling is rocks. The walls are rocks. There's a waterfall in there. And it is the most romantic restaurant. And there are like these tables that are sort of these little enclaves inside of the rocks on the wall with like curtains. It is truly amazing. The food is good. It's not it's not great, but it's, you know, like Middle Eastern food. So crowd pleaser. Um, but Chalel is definitely a favorite place of mine. Favorite, you know, the best pizza place in New York City, Mama's 2, up by Columbia, Upper West Side, hands down the best pizza. Across this, well, a couple blocks up, the best bagels in New York City, Absolute Bagels. Um, oh my God, I guess I'll give up some of my favorite spots. So <laughs> that pie place that I go from the Upper West Side all the way to, you know, Park Slope area, Brooklyn, is 4 and 20 Blackbirds. Truly the most incredible flavors. I didn't even know pie could be that good. 
But as you're probably getting a sense of, I really love to find new places. I love to try new things. Yeah. Like my favorite food, you know, cuisines are like French, Vietnamese, Greek, Mexican. Mm. So I love, I love all of it really. And of course there's a million places downtown, but to not just make an exhaustive list, I'll say one of my all time favorite places downtown is this French, a little sort of Algerian mix um, called Eves in Tribeca. And Eves is just like sublime. Everything is so flavorful, perfect quality, fun. It's an amazing place to then walk around after. And I always feel that no matter what I get, even if I'm getting the cheeseburger at Eves, I'm having a romantic dinner. So they have incredible pancakes for brunch. What? And yeah, and it's right right around the corner from Bubby's, so I think it gets overshadowed. <laughs> but the brunch there is also very, very good. And it's nice ambiance. It's like I think it's located in like a seafarer's inn, what used to be a seafarer's inn. So it's like right on the water. All of these places, except for Shalel, I have known about. I like very rarely is there I don't think there's ever been a time somebody has come on and told me a place I don't know about, but <laughs> you you managed to do it in the neighborhood I grew up, so hats off to you. And yes, can confirm the pie at 420 Blackbirds is so good. So good. And they just, every flavor is like a 10 yeah, out of 10. It's delicious. It's definitely a hole in the wall. Mm-hmm, 100%. Oh my God. All, all amazing recommendations. And I think ones that most people like won't, hear about on on the reg um the second Mm -hmm. part of that question is where do you like to go out and i know that you said that you don't really love drinking um so it doesn't have to be a bar or a nightclub but where do you like to spend your time in the evenings for fun or even if you're like going out on a date this is sort of prompted again that idea that i need to move downtown because i haven't gone out too much as someone who lives in new york city but I moved to New York City when I was 19 and I didn't have a fake ID at the time. So it was the hardest thing ever. I probably could have gotten into the Capitol easier <laughs> than getting into nightclubs like underage because they do not let you in the club if you are underage in New York, unless you're a woman. Yeah. And <laughs> I would like always drink at restaurants, never get carded, but get carded so quickly at clubs in New York. But When I first moved to New York City, some of my friends were straight male promoters. And so I have been to, you know, all of those clubs, the clubs where people don't dance, they just stand around and take pictures. And I'm someone who loves to dance. So, you know, the clubs that I really enjoy are basement in like Brooklyn slash Queens, because I have a, you know, I am German. So there's that. Um, I also really enjoy... I don't remember the name of it, but there's a little salsa bachata club on four, it's on 13th Street and Union Square. Um, it might be like Club Calle or something, but it's like the only Latino club downtown that I know of. Um, and they have like two floors, maybe three. Oh, I think and- I literally live a block away from it. I've always <laughs> wondered what that place was. Yeah, there's like a bodega yes. underneath it. And it's then, like bar 13. Yep. 
Yes, 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 yes. I did not realize that it was, I literally, I passed it the other day, but they were projecting like a big 13, Mm -hmm. like on the side of a building. And I was like, was that always there? And my boyfriend was like, I don't think so. I was like, should we go one day? And he was like, I don't know. (laughs) Because the only like, I've never, I've always passed it. And they always have like things out for happy hour, but they were like doing SantaCon. And so I was like, I don't know if I want to go to a place that does SantaCon. But I didn't realize it was like a Latino club. I just looked it up. Bar 13 might be something different. I forget. But it's Club Cash NYC. Club Cash NYC. Um, That's the Latino club. And I like it because I am Hispanic. So I love to dance to, you know, that type of music. And everyone dances. So sign me up. This is probably cliche. But the only club, the only two clubs that I do enjoy in new york on a regular basis are paul's casablanca and um the addition the paradise club Mm. and i only go to these places and i really only go to clubs with my friend who is a queer nightlife promoter Mm. because when the gays are there it's going to be a really fun night uh so that's kind of my really going out experience for now yeah. and what I enjoy. Well, Paradise, yeah, does a lot of like queer programming mm-hmm. and it's like a good space cuz they have like space for performers. Mm-hmm. And then Paul's on Wednesday. I mean, if anybody who's listening, I'm pretty sure it's Wednesday, but it's Paul's Dolls. Mm. So, it's a night that's like run by trans women, so it's very LGBTQ friendly on those nights. Um, every other night, Paul's is, I mean, it is LGBTQ friendly, just <laughs> hard as fuck to get in. I don't know if it's always really worth the hassle. Yeah. Um, and I mean, maybe I can give you a recommendation. Uh, if you like Latino or Latinx like clubs and music, the one that's like really popular mm. is Escondido. That's like, it's also honestly one of the hardest clubs I've ever gotten into. It's, um, <laughs> it's on the Lower East Side. Okay. Like kind of close to the new Moxie, but it's been around for a while. Mm. And oh my God, like the one time I went, I went with a bunch of these Venezuelan Jews, like a whole pack of them. Mm-hmm. And they had a table, they had multiple tables and they were, mm. it was still like impossible to get in. It was very fun when you're inside. It's like a, it's a very like attractive like Latinx crowd with the music. Everybody's dancing. It's a cool space. So mm-hmm. Escondido is definitely good for like Latinx music. And then recently, like very recently, this place called La Victoria opened up and it's a big club in Miami. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of it. I know that like you've spent some time in Miami, but big club in Miami just opened up in New York. And I think they're also catering towards like Latinx kind of crowd so (laughs) when you come back and then obviously for queer nightlife like there are places it changes all the time but Mm -hmm. like suzanne barch does on top at labane yes and then um now phd in midtown is doing something called fishbowl on fridays so very lgbtq friendly (laughs) oh boy if only you knew if only you knew the story about tell me tell me I'm just going to say, okay, so I was once a young gay living in New York City. Yes. There was a promoter that I think had a story come out in the New York Oh my God, is about... it Michael Cohen? Yes, yes. Okay, um, tell. Please tell. I want this I want this story <laughs> on the podcast because I don't think enough people know. 
like how ingrained and terrible this was. A hundred percent. It was the sort of um, secret crime that no one really knew about. But I have to say, I don't really have a lot of gay friends in New York. Surprisingly, you know, of course, a lot of my friends are women, but almost every single one of my male friends is a straight man. Why do you think that is? I think a big reason I have to say is because I'm not really into circuit parties and I don't Mm. drink, which I know sounds really ridiculous, but like I always have this really funny joke uh, about how I kind of stay within the, I believe the word is ervu, um, which if people don't know what that is, as a Jewish person, I will describe on you know, the day of rest, you are not supposed to do work. You're not supposed to like leave the house. But in New York City, there is an Irvu or Iruv that uh, is just this like piece of rope, piece of whatever material that creates like a little grid around certain areas of the city. And so, you know, Upper West Side, Upper East Side, West Village, Skip's Hell's Kitchen. And I, I just say that I like to stay within the Irvu. So I don't really do Hell's Kitchen. And I think that has really shrinked my sort of potential group of Hell's Kitchen gay friends. But yeah, you know, I, I really don't go out to a lot of gay events, which is something I want to work on. There are some gay, I have a lot of gay acquaintances. And on multiple occasions, from when I first moved to New York City until t- even today, there have been countless people, like truthfully, every attractive young gay person I have ever met in New York City, and it, the topic of conversation has come up, they have had an experience with Michael Cohen. Yep. And like 100%, I was like a super young gay in New York City. And automatically, I don't know how it happened. I, I, I don't know how this man found me. But when I first moved to New York City, I got a DM from him. On Instagram or on Facebook? On Instagram. And, you know, I guess to kind of illuminate a bit of it, he would just, he would try to, you know, win you over with all of these things, you know. So from experiences of myself and from friends, he would just say, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Like, we're taking my plane to Aspen. Like, come. Or like, hey, let's go to St. Bart's. Like, He would just sort of do these things, these lavish things. You know, I would be in a club. Friends would be in a club. We'd be at a restaurant. All of a sudden, we're getting bottle service. Nobody ordered it except for you know who. So a lot of these really lavish things he would do for reasons that I don't even have to articulate. However, I found that a lot of the people he would prey on ended up doing things that they were not comfortable with, doing things that they may even allegedly not have consented to. And there were also a lot of allegations about people being drugged, people being, I like, I almost refrain from like saying all these things, but like there is so much bad there that fishbowl was sort of like canceled (laughs) Um, with a lot of people. So there's so much to be said about this person. And if you have a young attractive gay friends, they probably have a story with this person. Yeah. And I wanted, I mean, I know about it because I have a lot of gay friends who've also had experiences with him Mm -hmm. and I'm okay to talk about it because I'm like, it's out in the open there. You can Google his name. You can find the New York post articles. Mm -hmm. You can find the TikToks about him. You can find people talking about him as you should, because he's like, 
in some ways, the Epstein of the gay community. Yeah. And like Epstein, he didn't work alone. So mm-hmm. I think it's important for especially young gays, but anybody in the LGBTQ plus community to stay vigilant about these parties and these people and who you're spending time with. Also, I feel like this is a totally separate tangent, but I feel like the same thing sort of happens Mm -hmm. on TikTok with young women in New York who see other like influencers and women living a certain lifestyle Mm -hmm. or who really like laud the lifestyle of being with like a sugar daddy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we don't want to prime these young people into thinking that this is okay and that this is normal behavior. It's not. Absolutely. You know, I think that this is, I've really lived my life to gain just wisdom. So from doing these things and having dated so many different types of people in New York, I have a really hot take that when people listen to this, I want them to use their own nuance, but I say it to shock. If an older man is single, there is a reason for it. And I stand by that because As a young gay person, when you come to New York, you usually are a little bit innocent. You may even be naive. And there are so many people like this person that we've spoken about who exist in this city. And I think that this person, Michael, was able to do so much. And it became such a high profile thing because, you know, everybody's favorite gay influencers were on his planes, on his Instagram, you name it. But There are so many other people in New York who are way more private, who do the same exact things as him. And, you know, I could I could make an entire podcast about how this exists every single night in straight clubs with promoters. Mm -hmm. But I think that like that is something I've really begun to see that makes me nervous for other people. Yeah, I think it it goes you hit the nail on the head. Like there are people like this who exist gay, straight doesn't matter anything in between who take advantage of younger people of attractive people of people who are vulnerable and every year it becomes clearer and as somebody who also like works nightlife adjacent I was I was a girl also who was like 17 years old going to the club with a promoter Mm -hmm. and being told just crazy things And like experiencing and seeing crazy things and thinking, you know, well, this is New York and it's okay. And like, it's all part of the lifestyle. But as you get older, you just see it for what it is. And it's just like creepy and weird. So I'm glad you brought that up. But I want to know a little bit more about your experiences dating. You alluded to the fact that you have dated a lot of people right now. you're You're in your Europe era. You're in your traveling era. Like... What are the sort of relationships that you've been in? Do you think you've experienced anything that is like profoundly impactful you'd like to talk about? Whatever you're comfortable sharing. You know, like I said, I am without a doubt Sex in the City's biggest fan. And I not only say that because I can quote the entire show by now, but I have legitimately rewatched the show about 176 times. Um, I started watching it when I was very young and just continued to rewatch it. It was sort of my Bible of how to live in New York. And so for better or for worse, when I started dating, dating a bunch of different people wasn't something that I thought was out of the ordinary. 
you know, I've, I've dated sort of every archetype you could. And while not everyone has to, as somebody who was really the only gay person in my community growing up, dating people was one of the most enriching things that I have ever done, you know, serial dating, because I got to experience so many other different type of people's lived experiences. And I've had so many crazy stories that are going to make great for when I, you know, make a TV show about it. But I don't know how a lot of people feel about this. But I think dating in New York City is so easy. Like, I think it's the easiest place ever. Some people say, you know, getting into a relationship is the hard part. But I also don't think that's true. Interesting. In my experience. Okay. Where are you meeting people and how? Okay. I think every committed relationship I have been in since I moved to New York has been through Tinder. Okay. Um, I understand that for most straight people, Tinder is looked at as just hookups. But I think for gay people, we see Tinder as like the dating app because Hinge is the worst dating app to ever exist. And Bumble is just kind of uncool. But Tinder has just everybody on there. So there's that. Do you, do you use any um, queer apps? <sighs> I don't know if I really do. You're not on Grindr. Really You're not like doing anything like that. I think Grindr scares me sometimes. Mm. And I'm someone who the idea of, okay, here's the best thing. The way that I would describe Grinder is I really don't like it because one time I was in a restaurant and this guy who, I, you know, I, looks kind of gay was looking at me. I sit down, I'm eating my salad. He looks at me. He's kind of like, you know, flirty eyes. And instead of saying something to me, he goes on Grinder, mm. and I guess is trying to look for me if I'm mm. nearby him. And I'm not. So I'm like, you're going on this app when I'm sitting right here next mm. to you. I really don't like how that creates this idea of, you know, how it impacts like human connection in that way. Do you think he might have been like using it to see if you were gay? Usually my friends and people that know me don't, they always say that I don't look gay, mm. but I really like to dress in a way that isn't your typical <laughs> straight guy. Like I, I have a good sense of, I have like a good right. sense of style, a good sense of style that, you know, goes beyond the average right. straight man or just straight man period. <laughs> um, so, you know, for me, I'm like, oh, there's no question. Like, I think that you could probably look at me and if you're gay, be like, yeah, he's gay. Mm. But I think that's fair. But honestly, I, I, it just really turned me off to Grindr. Yeah. And I think that I always have these contemplations about the gay experience and I wish that it wasn't so much about just like hookups and stuff. Um, yeah. Which you just said, like, I feel like a lot of gay people have the issue that gay culture is very hookup focused, but you said you haven't had any problems finding relationships. Yeah. You know, I, sometimes I talk to people and they're like, Oh, dating in New York is so hard. Like, how do you meet people? How do you get in relationships? Mm. And I'm like, I, I don't know, you know, I, it's always been easy for me. Maybe it's just because I'm usually ready for a relationship or mm. 
I have like a pretty good sensor for a person if they're ready for a relationship or not. Mm-hmm. But I actually want to bring something up. We sort of talked about this when we first met, but drinks first. Mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Because I have a really interesting, perhaps different take on it. Yeah. And you mean like the name? Yeah. Like what's your methodology? What's your, what's your philosophy with drinks first? What does that mean for you? So the idea behind the name drinks first, it was actually a friend of mine who came up with it. Um, but the idea was meet somebody and talk to them, right? And what's what's your first inclination when you might be going on a date? And I'd say drinks first, you know, like go get a drink. And that drink does not have to be alcoholic. Totally. It could be coffee. It could be, you know, whatever you want. Um, but I think getting a drink is like the perfect amount of time to not commit yourself or overcommit yourself and the whole thing in New York anyway is like I don't have time you don't have time like we have to make schedules work so drinks first is all about that like put yourself out there give yourself a little bit of time to commit to somebody else put and you know see if it works so that's like the the idea around drinks first so you know when you first told me that I love the idea. Drinks First is such a good name and it works so perfectly, but I am the total opposite. Okay. So this might, you know, maybe I'm having my dating guru moment, but for me, usually in my experience that I've learned from other people, when you agree to like a coffee date or like a drink date, it doesn't really go anywhere. Or sometimes it can kind of just lead to a hookup. And or like a one night stand, you know, maybe you're like, okay, let's just do it. Like, who knows where it will go. And it just ends there. As somebody who doesn't really drink alcohol or doesn't drink coffee, Mm. whenever people would say, oh, let's just grab a drink. Let's grab coffee. I always within myself was like, "Uh, I don't know if I want to do that. Mm. At the same time, like I come from a very traditional background. So like you ask someone to dinner, you go to dinner. Like if you if you're not interested enough to sit down for a full dinner with me, it's not going to work out. And so some of my really sentimental dates, some of them that I really cherish so much have been just like walking with someone, like going on a walk with someone has proved to be so amazing for me Mm -hmm. when it comes to dating. But if I'm interested in somebody and if somebody's interested in me, the only way they're going to get to do that is like dinner. Interesting. Okay. My philosophy is if somebody is interested in you enough to want to sit through an entire dinner and dessert because you must, that they are actually interested in having something meaningful and they are really interested in you, which is key. And so Mm. I've always committed to that. And I think that it's probably proved to be um, very successful in, in regards to finding someone who's ready to commit. But yeah, you know, I think at the same time, some of my friends feel like, oh my God, that like, how can you just feel that way? Like it's, it's way easier to just like get drinks and it's low pressure. And I'm like, I don't know. I think there has to be some pressure. I think that's what makes it kind of fun. Um, but of course, whatever works for people. No, I love that take. And I think that there is like a lot of 
things to say about it, which is for some people, putting themselves out there to any degree is hard. And Mm -hmm. people date very differently, right? Like Mm -hmm. some people will want to talk to somebody on a dating app for weeks before they meet them. (laughs) Some people just need to have like a day long conversation and be like, yeah, you know what? I'm down to meet you. Let's meet, you know? Mm -hmm. So it really depends on the kind of person you are. Personally, for me, I've gone on dates with people and known in the first 20 minutes whether or not I am interested in getting to know them more. And that could be attraction. That could be their personality. It could be a whole host of things, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily want to commit to a whole dinner and waste my own time Mm -hmm. to get to know somebody that I'm not, I'm personally not sure that this is where something like amazing could grow, but I understand. And I think that's a lot of where the drinks first ethos is about not the name, but the idea that somebody can listen to an hour long podcast of you talking about yourself and still be interested enough and not know what you look like and still be interested enough to go out on a date with you. So I agree with the sentiment. I personally am like, I don't have enough time to go to dinner with some random person. <laughs> so drinks first for me. No, I think that's a good, that's a, that's a good point. You know, I think for me, it's like, I really want to talk and see where we're at. Mm. I even want to like, you know, sometimes I want to know what your birth chart is. I want to look at your astrology <laughs> or like, I just want to sort of suss out somebody before it happens. Cause of course I've been on terrible dinner dates, but I do agree though, that like putting the expectation out there that you, you yourself are willing to commit to a dinner and you're looking for somebody who's willing to do the same. You are weeding out a lot of people. Absolutely. So I see the, I see the tactic there. Exactly. And I think, you know, that's what I always tell my girlfriends who are trying to be in a relationship is like, you know, don't go to Joe and the Juice. That's not a date. Because also, I'm one of those people, I'm I'm an artist, I'm a writer. I don't want to tell my kids, then we went to Starbucks. Like, <laughs> I want to say, you know, we met at this restaurant, it was so good. We did this and that, then we walked around. But, you know, I think for me, and this is probably a bit more individualistic, and I, I love to tell people this because I think sometimes people take this on for themselves. I think there are some people who feel that if they're really interested in someone and they're really hitting it off, that just getting drinks is not feeling like it's worthy of them or not feeling like it's reflective of the value that they have for dating. And Mm. maybe they are taking dating more seriously than just getting drinks with a bunch of random people. Mm. And so one of the reasons that I normally do not like to get drinks with people is because there have been times where people said, let's get a drink. And I'm like, okay, sure. I didn't know this until maybe about, I don't know, the eighth time after meeting someone to get drinks, but people normally like get drinks, see how it is, and then offer to prolong it to dinner. Yeah. And in the idea of let's respect people's time. For me, I'm like, if I'm going to get a drink with you, if I'm going to get coffee with you, 
I'm giving you an hour, hour and a half maybe, and then I'm doing something else after. So every time I would get drinks with someone, we would hit it off. It would be, there would be sparks in the air. They'd be so interested. And then they'd be like, would you want to get dinner? And I'm like, well, actually I have other plans. And so eventually mm-hmm. when I learned that this was the idea that you get drinks, you see how it is, and then you prolong it to dinner. I know that if I talk to someone on a dating app for a period of time and we suss it out and it's a good fit, if we get drinks, there is a 99% chance it's also going to continue the night. So I'd rather just skip that and be like, let's actually get dinner. Let me give you my night. So that's kind of my my thoughts on that. And if anyone feels that type of way, I really sort of empower that. Take you out for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that you sound like the kind of person who takes enough time to when they're on dating apps to more consciously choose like this is the kind of person I am interested in. This is the kind of person I want to meet. And maybe that happens Mm -hmm. through conversation that happens through like you being more selective when you swipe, like Mm -hmm. your filtering out process might be different from somebody else's where, you know, some straight guys play the numbers game and they're just like swipe, 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 swipe until they get a match. And then Mm -hmm. for some women, it's like, you know, very overwhelming and, they either need a lot of time to feel safe to go on a date or like me, I'm like, uh, when I met my boyfriend, we met on a dating app. He was pretty surprised at how quickly I wanted to meet because he was, (laughs) he's the kind of person who like likes to talk for a while before you Mm. actually like go on a date. And I'm the Mm. kind of person who's like, I'm going to know when I meet you in person in the first like I said, 20 minutes to an hour if I want to continue even having this conversation. So my overall time is saved by just like meeting you in person and going on a date. But everybody approaches dating differently. So I totally understand like what works for certain people, what doesn't. Um, You know, my approach might not work the same as your approach. And (laughs) it also just depends what kind of person you are. I have to say like from hearing your perspective on this, it's actually pretty enlightening. Like, I, I didn't really consider, you know, how people can have such different reactions to how they want to communicate or how they want to go about that. So that's actually interesting to consider. Yeah. I mean, maybe you should be open to doing the drink. And mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a, it sounds like when you go on a drink state, you know, maybe it's the person wants to extend it. For the most part, I'm the same way. I'm like... I have plans after, like I have a life and I think that's a good thing, you know, like you should also have plans after and have a life. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, if you do, I didn't block off my entire evening for this one person that I don't know. Right. But I guess it's more so the follow-up. Like, do do you feel like it felt when you were going on drink dates with people that the second date didn't happen or that it wasn't as good as the first date? Like, where do you think that disconnect was? You know, I think that I would just say when I would go on a just drinks date with people, I don't know if I was that interested Um, because I I think that there is, it feels like less of a commitment. It feels like less time, less, less importance of Mm. the event. And so, you know, I think of when you go on a dinner date, 
you have plenty of time with this person. You've pretty much planned like, okay, we're going to have dinner the whole night. Like whenever I end with them, I'm probably going home. Mm -hmm. Um, I think after, you know, if I would go to drinks with somebody and had time to extend it, I'm usually pretty good on dates. So things continue. But Yeah. yeah, you know, I think I have to say, if I had to like quantify it, coffee dates were the least um the least successful because mm. i don't know what it is about that but coffee dates are the least successful in they're my just opinion. not that sexy you know i understand yes. people who want to go on a coffee date but you know even if you don't drink go to a cool bar that does mocktails like mm-hmm. i think it's the environment that really changes things when it's light outside when it's in the middle of the day you most definitely probably have plans later like I'm not against a coffee date. I also, I just, I feel like the vibe isn't as easy to catch like when you're on a coffee date. Yeah. But, you know, in regards to these sort of like um, low expectation dates, I have to say like sitting in the park or walking is usually also super successful. Um, Mm. And I don't know what it is about those. Maybe it's just that the city can be so fun and provide so much to talk about. But Whenever I've like been like, do you just want to go on a walk? Do you just want to like, you know, sit in the park? Like those have really provided some, mm-hmm. even if things didn't continue where that person wasn't right. It's, um, it's a really nice moment to share. And maybe you just stay sort of friendly with that person. So I have a question. Do you, and you sort of touched on it, but do you feel like you have a type? Sort of. I think that my friends would articulate a type of mine (laughs) which i i think a type of mine has always been guys that look like teddy bears um which i love but (laughs) so you know if you look like a teddy bear dm in regards to the type of person i would say that my type is usually someone who i'm really attracted to intelligence so intelligence is sort of number one uh, sense of humor is equally as important. I would love someone who is incredibly funny, but just someone who I can laugh with is truly the epitome of romance in my mind. And honestly, my only other type slash requirement is like someone who comes from a culture that they are very connected to. Mm. Realistically, someone who like speaks another language, ideally like one of the ones that I can speak. What languages do you speak? I speak Spanish, French, and I can, like, understand Italian, a little bit German. But Mm. Spanish, French, or English, like, great. I just find, like, as being someone who has two immigrant parents, is super connected to their culture, dating Americans is sometimes really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. um, Because there isn't that, you know, like, connection to your roots or connection to why we do things the way that we do. Um, Mm. So I love someone that has a culture of their own or that is, you know, multilingual. That's why you like Tinder, because all of the international people are on Tinder. Yes, yes, yes. It's it's true. (laughs) I I mean, honestly, I am such a fan of Tinder because, you know, I think Hinge gets only like a small group of people and like Raya gets a small group of people and Bumble gets a small group of people. But Tinder is the whole net, you know, like. Tinder is universal. Tinder is everybody in the city. And so, yeah, whenever I see someone and their bio is in another language, it's usually a swipe right. 
I, I kind of want to pivot the conversation just a little bit because I do know that you have, like, I remember when we first met, we were talking a little bit about your crazy ex and a situation that you were in. Like, I want to hear a bit more about that. Which crazy ex? Okay. <laughs> um, All right. Well, okay. You know, I think that I was in a relationship um, last year that was insane and that essentially got the attention of two million plus people. I was in an abusive relationship. I sort of went through all of the trials and tribulations of dating someone who um, doesn't really have great intentions for you. So, Mm. you know, I had gun cheated on and all these other things. And that was all the same relationship. Yes. Mm. You know, so basically when I had met this person, I was a couple months in to this new life that I had started with Goldman, with acting, with social media. Mm. And I was working out every single day and I was like at the peak of my life. I felt like I was on track to where I wanted to be. I was going places and I met this person and, Mm. you know, sometimes when you meet people, they show you something that they want you to see and Mm. you don't see who that person is until you're in a relationship and you're already committed. And um, I'm the type of person who, while I am ready to jump the ship, I really don't want to. So, Mm. you know, when I started to see a lot of these really bad behaviors, I'm a big proponent for therapy. I've been in therapy. I enjoy it. Um, So I pushed for that and I tried to help this person grow. But I got this advice from a friend And frankly, it was one of the best pieces of breakup advice I'd ever gotten. And I see this trend a lot with some of my friends in relationships where I'm a really self-actualized person. Like I, you know, I have a really complicated relationship with my family for being a gay person. So I don't really have any family per se. Mm. And I moved to New York City at a super young age and I've been able to do everything by myself. And so I describe myself as self-actualized for that reason. And the fact that my ex was not able to not be physically abusive, to not cheat, there are so many other examples to list. But this proved that my ex was not at the same level where I was at. Mm. And I think that was the biggest mistake I made getting into that relationship was being someone who is driven and ambitious and completely self-sustaining, getting with somebody who wasn't able to just do the fundamental basic needs of being in a healthy relationship. Of course, there are so many things to look for when you're dating a person and there are things that we make concessions for But I think the biggest thing I've learned is to find somebody who, at the bare minimum, is at the same level where you're at. Like, if you are someone who has done everything on your own, worked really hard, if that is very important to you, you need someone who's doing the same thing. It's really hard to find somebody who is not. um, And if they're not really capable of doing those fundamental blocks the entire relationship is going to come crashing down. It's good advice. I think it's it's so easy to be comfortable in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to look at yourself and say, is this really the best 
thing for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think certain people can be fixers, you know, Mm -hmm. like you see a problem, you see somebody that you might care about. I'm like this where I'm like, how can I help? How can I make this better? And how can I fix this instead of maybe this just isn't for me and this isn't my problem and I don't need to deal with it, you know? Yeah. That's been one of the biggest shifts that I've had in dating in my entire life. And honestly, even though I went through so much with my ex, it brought me to this conclusion, which is to spend less time thinking of, oh my gosh, does this person like me? Is this going to work out? Mm. And spend more time thinking, do I even like this person? Does this person truly fit in with me? Mm. And that is so true. I absolutely was the person who's like, I would see these issues and be like, okay, well, like I can fix that. I can change that. Like I'm someone who always is trying to push myself to be better. And I realized that's really an individual thing. You can't really put that on other people. And so, you know, ultimately I think you just kind of got to be pretty sparing in the beginning when it comes to dating and just be like, Mm -hmm. does this fit together? Are there any issues? And if there are, you know, realistically, it's probably not going to be a good fit. So after all of that, and I'm sure you learned a lot, what are you looking for in the future? You're going to come back to New York. By the time this comes out, you'll probably already be back in New York. What are you hoping Mm -hmm. for? I'm in this place now where I'm looking for my equal. You know, I, I had dated... I've dated many people, but I've never felt like I found somebody who was my equal in regards to where they came from, where they're going, who they are. Mm. And so I think that I feel very comfortable in my solitude. I feel so happy to be by myself. And as somebody who's also a workaholic and committed to trying to get to where I want to be, I'm so set on being single until I find the right person. However, Mm. I really want to continue meeting people as often as possible. So I find that not everything has to equal marriage when it comes to dating. I do want to find more people who are going to be friends or like people that we maybe just date. I don't know. So I'm really committed to myself as I come back to New York. But I am also equally committed to finding somebody who just like fits really easily into my past, my future and where I am now. Um, And yeah, I, I think that I'm just excited to meet more people and get the education of life through others as well. Yeah. You're open. A hundred percent. So the way that I wrap up all of my episodes is a segment called shots. It's rapid fire, this or that questions. Mm -hmm. So are you ready to do some shots? I am. Okay. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Work hard or play hard? (sighs) I believe that work should be placed. So I'm going to say work hard. I'm American at the end of the day. (laughs) Dine out or delivery? 
Dine out. I hate, hate, hate delivery. Laundry or dishes? I love doing laundry. Hate doing dishes, but I will cook. TikTok or Instagram? Love TikTok. Love TikTok, for sure. Money or fame? Hmm. Money, hands down. Coke or Pepsi? (laughs) I have to think for a second. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um... I actually don't drink soda either. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm like a Mormon. Like, I don't drink alcohol, coffee, <laughs> soda. <laughs> um, neither. I, I really couldn't. I don't like either. Okay. Spicy <laughs> or mild? Spicy. Coffee date or drink date? It's going to have to be drink date. What is your favorite season? I wish that I could combine them. But it's spring as soon as winter's over and fall right before winter. What's your favorite song right now? Oh my God. (laughs) I am like an insane music nerd. I'm going to say it is Fliesenjunge by Ski Agu, which is a German Hamburg electric song. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) What is your drink of choice? Okay, so you know I don't drink. I'm just going to list them. The only drinks I do drink, my signature drink is a Cosmo with gin, a Cote de Rhone red wine, or a French 75, period. Period. (laughs) And if you had a boat, what would you name it? (laughs) I have never, ever thought about that. I'm asking the hard-hitting questions. (laughs) This... This is the hardest question anyone's ever been asked. I don't know. Oh my God. Frankly, I would just leave the name of the luxurious place where I dock it. And that's it. I'm too busy to name it. (laughs) Gorgeous. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. I love chatting with you. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much. I think we kept it pretty juicy. For sure. And obviously, if anybody who is listening to this is interested in matching with our wonderful guest, you can go to our Instagram in the link in bio. There's a form you can fill out and hopefully there's a match. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes. Thank you so much for having me.